0: Osiris I'm Yuri Ann known as the gatekeeper my gate is actually the gate behind the main stage and um, I have this reputation I guess or this look (laughs) that I can control the gate and the people that come in to try and get past or you know whatever and I always seem to know what I'm doing with a gentle shake of the finger, you know, but they call me the gatekeeper just because I hold my gate. I cannot wait to get here. I try at the beginning of the year to go ahead and schedule my vacation so I can come. I'm a nurse and I take care of our our wonderful veterans. It's another blessing, you know, but I take my time and I come here and I feel so rewarded. This is my vacation. Can't wait to see Jay and his family and Chris and production, the lemonade guy, you know, I just, I, I can't wait. And we all seem to find each other. This is my family here. This is not my job. It's, I come here because I want to see the people here.
1: The word folk means people and community. So in a sense, Newport Folk literally has those two words written into its name. And as far as the festival part? Well, we're going to find out that what that word means today for most other music festivals isn't quite what it means at Newport. I'm Carmel Holt and you're about to hear the words folk and community as well as family mentioned a lot and even brought together as folk family as together we explore what is at the core of America's oldest music festival. We'll discover and celebrate it through the eyes, ears, and hearts of those that create, work, play, build, and attend the Newport Folk Festival year after year. Just like any family, there is a tree, and we'll dig to the roots and climb to the branches, to discover together what makes this annual gathering so special and meaningful to so many, now for six decades and counting. This is Festival Circuit, Newport Folk. Welcome to episode one, Hope and Sunscreen. Now that we've landed on site at Fort Adams State Park in Newport, and Marianne the gatekeeper has met us at the gate, our
2: journey begins. My name is Allison Pangakis and I'm the operations manager of the Newport Folk and Newport Jazz Festivals. So my job is to take Fort Adams State Park and turn it into a festival venue. To give you an idea, as you drive kind of through downtown Newport and out into kind of the farmland, off to the side, there is a military base that was built many years ago and never saw battle, but is now used for events and open as a state park. And the fort itself sits in the middle of this property. And we use inside the fort walls and outside both for stages and for fans. And then really take All of what is normal park space and fence it in appropriately and design it so that it's a functioning venue instead of just a really enjoyable, beautiful Oceanside Park. So we come on site myself and my field crew who works with me, and we're here for about three and a half weeks before anyone else comes to see us. So it's a kind of special time. You almost feel like a host. I think we all do by the time everyone else arrives Like come see what we've done and welcome to what we've done and enjoy working here, really living here. We all do for those few weeks. Bringing on individuals and working with individuals who know this place as home gives you a sense of not just working, but truly kind of eat, sleeping and breathing the experience here, which isn't necessarily true when you're on the road, because I think it can feel a little robotic or a little maybe a lack of emotion in it. And the excitement that comes behind Newport is that familiarity of seeing these people that you see once a year and it completely adds to the experience as a staff member as much as it's welcoming and warming to fans i think they see the same security guards year over year they same see the same faces at the front gate maybe to us it's kind of getting together with that festival family once a year and celebrating together um, and you don't really find that anywhere else and that's what's very special to us and we wouldn't function without it i'm considered a newbie you know starting 2013 is not an impressive uh, <laughs> status level in comparison to so many others and so many of the folks here know their job so well and have done it for so long and they're local Newporters and it creates this amazing team that just knows the space and their roles so well and without them it just wouldn't be Newport without that and it's a really special place because of it.
3: Newport crew member Art Jenkins. Well let's see uh this would be my on and off 22nd year with the Newport festivals. When I first started, I was basically a field crew, which is uh, you come in, you build the snow fences, you build the perimeter, um, whatever task that they, you know, specifically actually do, you build a stage. Over the years, uh, with my carpenter skills, I'm on a crew now that we have four guys on our crew, and uh, we're known as the plumbers. We just normally get done. <laughs> Management and our supervisors know, hey, These guys know what they got to do. They've been doing it for over 20 years. Just let them go. I think we actually build it so that if your family was coming, you want your family to be comfortable. And with the vendors and everything we have, it's just come out, listen to some good music. It's like one big picnic and have a great time. I've met a lot of good artists. I've met a lot of great artists. Years ago, I had the opportunity to speak with Ray Charles and to sit down and talk with him and talk music with him. It was so enlightening. It was unbelievable. What I had known was, before I started with the festivals, 1979, I believe Ray Charles in that area was here to do a show. And I happened to see this gentleman sitting at a bench and I look over, I'm like, wow, that looks like Ray Charles. So I didn't think anything of it. And I walked up to him and I said, Excuse me, sir, are you Ray Charles? He goes, Yes, I am, son. I said, Oh, would you mind if I sat down and just talk with you for a moment? Let's have a seat. And we sat there and we talked yeah. 10, 15 minutes. And it was just like down to earth, like I was talking with my grandfather.
4: <laughs> Cause I got a woman little uh, no town uh. good to me. Yes, I have. Uh.
0: Again, the gatekeeper, Marianne. Last year, I didn't get to come to the festival um, because of the COVID-19. My heart was heavy. I was really sad because I was waiting to come over the hill and get my car into the parking lot like I normally do. See one of our uh, dear friends who passed away last year, always was the first person I saw, and then we'd get to the parking lot and there was the quartermaster and Jack waiting for us, you know, and up over the hill and hugs all the way. One year made a big difference. I've watched so many children grow up and they come to my gate and they dance with me. I dance in the rain with them. The artists come, they bring their children, they introduce them to me, you know, and I, I get to be a part of their world and they're not too big. Last year, Well, the year before, Hosier came, and he came up to my gate, and he gave me a big hug. He said, I've got to do that again. It's been two years. And then he said, that's my dad. And he brought his dad over, and he introduced me to his dad, and he introduced me to his cousin. You know, so it was, this is my family, and he extended his family to me. What an awesome person. He's got great skills, but he is a phenomenal person, and a lot of them have introduced their extended family to me, so I feel blessed,
5: just happy. And I could cry.
1: visit Marianne at the backstage gate later on. But first, let's enter through the main gate. Here's Allison Pangakis.
2: You can come by three or four modes of transportation. So there's multiple ferries that come across the water. So that's kind of an experience in itself. We have a ton, thousands literally, of people who ride bicycles. And then also by car, we have plenty of parking as well. When you arrive, you enter our front gate area, which is tented on this patio that's right on the water. And once our gates open, it's really, that's when the excitement begins. And we typically do that at a set time and our executive director will kind of say a few words about the excitement of the weekend and then those gates open. People who've been here before, you can tell because they kind of head right to maybe their favorite stage or their favorite area, and they set up their blankets and their chairs. And then other people maybe ask where they think they should head or they're looking at their schedules. And because in a typical year, we have four stages. This year will look a little bit different on site. They kind of spread throughout. Everyone sets up their blankets and their chairs and really hunkers down for what is a you know eight-hour day of music in all these different locations and then wanders from place to place. So because we utilize all the different sides of the fort, depending on where you're going to listen to music at one of those four stages, the visuals are completely different. You, I think, get a completely different vibe and feeling when you're in the four walls, you almost feel like you're in your own party, that that's a private event just for the people that are in there. And when you step back outside and can see the water again, it's kind of a whole other experience and you feel like a part of something very huge. And so that's kind of neat to have so many different experiences, but all in one place.
1: Of all the stages that Allison was just telling us we have to experience, there's one that many may walk right past. But as we're about to find out, it's actually the first stop for the diehards. Let's visit the museum stage, meet its sound crew, Pete Kagan and Pete Hanlon.
6: I started in Newport in 2016 for the Jazz Festival. And then the following year, I got invited back to do jazz and folk. And it was overwhelming to do folk alone. So I called Pete and begged him
7: to join me. It didn't take much coaxing. I was, before he could get it out of his mouth, I was saying yes. The museum stage, I think, is like the coolest stage. It's the smallest. So it's actually indoors. Uh, as people walk into the festival, it's the building right on the left past the main gates. But it starts off, and probably most people that attend the festival don't know this, it starts off the first person to play is actually an open mic. So right when gates open, there's an hour of open mics. And
6: people line up at like six in the morning to sign up for the open mic. And they come running. In there, because there's only like 12 slots. It's like almost the same people or a lot of the same people
7: every year. There's this uh, gentleman, Nick Noble. Nick
6: Noble, big shout out to Nick Noble. He is there every year and he leads everybody in song. And I think he's been going to the festival for, I mean, Lord knows how long, 40 or 50, like since the beginning.
7: And he's not in it for the, you know, whatever the main act is that year. He's at the museum stage the whole time. He he has a
6: chair in there with his name on it, and he sits there the whole weekend.
7: And he gets up and will have the whole room singing and isn't playing an instrument. It's usually always a Pete Seeger song, I believe. Pretty much, it's a Pete Seeger song, because
6: it's the Pete Seeger stage for the folk festival. Ramblin' Jack Elliott played one year, who, if you don't know him, flat-picking guitar player, uh, became famous in the early 60s. Bob Dylan cites him as one of his influences. A big big Woody Guthrie follower. Arlo says he played his dad's songs better than his dad did.
8: Oh, you gone so far away. Didn't mean to treat her so bad. You
6: know, Judy Collins came in one night and played. You know, whenever I mix for somebody who's one of our older generation, it's very inspiring and humbling. And to see someone in their late 80s who can still play really well, Judy's a little younger, early 80s, but Ramblin' Jack Hill, I think he was 87 when he played. It's very inspiring. Newport folk foremother
1: and trailblazer, Judy Collins.
0: When I was there in 2019, George Ween was there. I went over to say hello and he said, oh my God, it's so good to see a face that I remember. There were tons of newcomers and a lot of electric music and a lot of brand new music. So there were new people that George didn't know. I was one of the ones that he did know. So when I came back, it was a great reunion. There were lots of people that I knew. That camaraderie was always there at Newport. And people were hugging and loving each other and telling each other they saw each other, they heard one another's albums. Oh, I love your new this and that. And don't you look wonderful after all these years? You're
8: holding up very well. Rows and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air
9: Feathered canyons everywhere I've looked
4: at clouds that way and
7: One that actually I got unlucky because of course I didn't know this before but Pete ended up mixing her, not me but it was Madison Cunningham and she's just like, that record is so amazing and to see her just... Right at the beginning, I don't know if that record was even out yet, and she just killed it.
5: You want something constant, and you want something sure, something you can hold. Something
6: yeah, and a shout out to Chris Funk, who curated a lot of the music. Uh, Chris did a great job, and he would be there all weekend, in and out, when the Decemberists weren't playing on a different stage. And he had brought in all these artists from all over the world. it's just so cool because people are so excited to play Newport.
1: Chris Funk's bandmate in the Decemberists, Colin Malloy.
10: I want to say it's 2008 or 2009. Whenever we were doing our Hazards of Love tour, and I feel like we had our foot on either side of the divide between alternative rock and and folk music we were starting to still playing like Lollapalooza, and but then also playing the philadelphia folk fest and newport felt really different like everybody was just kind of hanging out it was just this low-key affair and I think that was sort of the beginning of that sort of folk family that Jay talks about. This feeling that all these people that had been drawn into this for one reason or another. And of course, the festival itself, like the audience is so magical. You know, there's really appreciative and sweet. And the setting is gorgeous. And you're looking out over... The bay, or whatever you know, the ocean, and all the boats, and it—it was just really and it, on that in Fort Adams, it's really kind of a cool spot to have a festival, and and so we were kind of won over, you know, and I think we were drawn into it, and then but also kind of struck by the magic of it all. It certainly has changed from I think from that first year. I mean, we've changed, everyone's changed, you know, and. I don't know I don't, I don't want to be nostalgic about that because then there were also pete was still involved with the festival and it was understood that even though we would be quote-unquote headlining we would be opening for pete seeger's sing-along which we were happy to do and that sort of capped off the whole evening like we played our set it was beautiful and then we all just came back on stage with pete seeger and did if i had a hammer and guantanamera and all these songs <laughs> That, like, my uncles had sung around campfires as, when I was a kid. Yeah, how do, you, how do you not get swept up in that?
11: Newport Executive Director, Jay Sweet. I had somebody whose whole job it was to watch Pete Seeger. Because he was getting up there, you know, uh, late '80s, early '90s, himself, and I remember this person running up with panic in their eye and saying, "Jay, I lost Pete." So what do you mean you lost Pete? He's like, "I don't know where he is, but he ain't around." And I was like, Are "You what? It's Pete Seeger." And there, easily 30, 40 feet up on the left scaffolding, on stage left, was Pete in his kind of purple shirt and Wrangler jeans and these kind of slip-on boat shoes and this kind of like fisherman's hat and he was had his arms crossed leaning like 30 freaking at the top of the scaffolding he's like 90 and he's looking down and he's watching the decemberists and he, he I, I you know we're like do we get him down i was like if you scare or spook him he might fall and like it's over and so i remember watching him like after a half an hour like slowly coming down the scaffolding and I was like, I went up to him just exasperated. I was like, Pete, what? The-? He's like, everybody wanted my goddamn picture and my autograph and all that. And you told me these people, the Decemberists, did, did some really cool modern sea shanty type things. And I just really wanted to watch the Decemberists. And so I just went and found a place where no one would bother me. It, you know, mic drop. And I was like, that was it. And that's when I knew, I was like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. You get the rocks in the box, get the water right down to your socks.
10: This book has built of fallen brethren bones. We all do what we can. We endure our fellow man. And
1: we sing Founder of the Newport Day Folk Day Festival, Day Day. Day. George Wee.
4: For me, it was a total dedication to make this festival happen. I didn't imagine it, and I was hoping to make it happen with my life. It's what I've lived all my life. I spoke at a memorial to Pete Seeger just not too long ago. And I said, you know, I agree with all of Pete's ideals, except one I can't agree with him on one. I have to believe in self-aggrandizement. I have to make a living for myself. I <laughs> than had every other one of his ideals I agree with, and I live them. But that one I couldn't give up. I couldn't play the banjo and sing a song like Pete could. People like Johnny Cash would come, and uh, so many big-name artists would come just to be with Pete. Of course, Bob Dylan was emerging, and uh, Joni, and Odetta. And Of blue singers from the South Mississippi, John Heard. Well, all you need gather around the good sweet candy man's town, candy man, candy man. The music that started was more or less real folk music, and it became the typical topical type songs. And now uh, we have a great, great festival. The atmosphere of this folk festival and the people coming to it are the same people that came to the old festival, not the same individuals, the same type of people. If you took pictures of that crowd today, you would think it was the same crowd that came. Same people. It's marvelous to see. Is it a folk festival and the traditions of, of established? There's a love for that and a respect for that and an influence of those days. But these artists, they have their own music that they're singing. And the people just love it. Because these artists are dedicated. Jim James and people like that. Here's Jim James.
12: There's so many moments, even moments I can't remember even who it was at some after party or whatever that we are playing together, jamming together. Or there's a big group of people on stage. We're sitting on the dock with a couple acoustic guitars. That's the scope of it that's so amazing. It's all about the whole thing. You know, I mean, the performances on stage are awesome, too. It's all during the day. It's all in the light. Even the headliners are all on the stage in the day. So you're not getting a, a normal show. You're not getting a light show and you're not getting any special effects or screens or, you know, crazy things. You're getting a raw thing where you get to see people in the daylight. And and I think that for us as artists, too, is really... Uh, shocking and eye-opening because i'm really sensitive to light and you know i like hiding behind a crazy light show and but it's cool because you get to see uh you know see the look on people's faces and looking out from the stage and seeing the water and the boats and you know the fort and i mean what a perfect metaphor that something uh, as sad as an army fort was turned into something beautiful for uh for music and a vehicle for peace and love i mean that that right there for me every time i walk into that fort i'm like wow this is like what should happen with every fort and every military base all over the world someday, you know, that we can turn them all into temples for peace and love, you know? It's like, that's that gives me so much uh, joy every time I, I go there too. Some years you're like, oh God, it would be so amazing to just come with my guitar and just, just play the simplest thing possible, and then the next year d- do the most complex thing possible, with laptops and everything, you know? And I think that's part of our mission. I know Jay agrees with this, is trying to expand the definition of folk. You know, trying to expand that as we move forward together, just to make sure that, that it grows uh, and changes as, as humanity grows. I'm
1: This is Festival Circuit, Newport Folk. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Festival Circuit, Newport Folk. I'm Carmel Holt. So far, we've gotten a small peek behind the scenes, met some of the crew who create the space for magic to happen each July at the Fort. And we've heard from some of the artists and organizers who've been at the center of it throughout the festival's history. Capturing and documenting that magic is a whole job unto itself. Let's peer through the lens of Newport folk photographer and Newport native Brian Lima.
5: It all comes back down to the core ethos of the festival, which is, you know, the folk family. The folk that come to Newport, it doesn't end on Sunday they're living it. If you go on the internet or you go on Facebook and you see the the Newport folk community, it's nonstop talking about who might be there. Who was there? Did you see this? Oh, did you find, it's just a really cool, tight knit community. When you put that type of community in a atmosphere like this, magic's going to happen. In the 90s, before Newport Folk became what it is now, it was kind of a um, come and go as you please type of thing. I mean, you still had to buy tickets, but it wasn't, you know, selling out. As a kid living in Newport, Newport Folk is just something that's in the background. We would come to it, but I wasn't really at that time into the whole scene. I would hang out with friends here and then be like, yeah, I'm going back into town. I think the first one that I actually remember going to as an adult would have been 2009? That was back when Pete was still with us. Joan Baez played.
9: I saw. Last night. As
5: you are Amy Lou, Gillian, and David played, which was really cool. And I sat right in the front row. I was literally one of those people that camped out front row. I've always been a music photographer, so when I moved back to Newport full-time, creative director... Chris Capps reached out and basically brought me on board. And then from there, slowly evolved into being one of the Newport Folk photographers. I tend to creep on the stages a lot just to kind of get that behind the scenes on the stage or a different perspective of the artist performing from maybe an angle that isn't necessarily something that you would, it's not a press photo. I'm looking for a perspective that not many people are afforded to, to get because of the access. You know when you've got one. You do. You, you don't see it, but the whole time you're shooting, you're like, oh, I got to check and see if that came out. Even though I'm right in the mix, literally I could be standing right next to Brittany Howard and Alabama Shakes doing their thing, but if you asked me an hour later what the set was, I couldn't tell you what song I even played unless it was something that I remember photographing, like sounding color. I got a photo of Brittany. It was at what we call golden hour. And the, the light was just magic. And I popped off a few shots and got an amazing photo of her with the whole crowd of Newport behind her with the Newport Bridge. And kind of you could see the stage silhouetted by the sun. Oh, that was a pretty cool moment. Stop.
1: Here's Brittany Howard.
13: It is my favorite festival because it has still remained about music. I didn't know what to expect at all. And then it's funny, once you're actually on the stage, you look out and there's like all these white sails from sailboats. And it's something I never noticed until I was right there on the stage. It's honestly like nothing else. I'd say Newport consistently brings great artists. And when I go there, I just feel like I can just hang out in a crowd and everything's cool, you know? It's so laid back. It's so chill. It's not hectic. Nobody's yelling at you. It's just, you know, somewhere you want to be. And at Newport, it's like you finally get to run into these like uh, musicians that are out of caliber that you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm getting to meet them right now. Let me check out what they're about. Finally getting to meet people like that. And everybody's so relaxed. It's just easy to fall in and get to know each other. Yeah, everybody's having a good time. Everybody's happy. I appreciate everybody who runs Newport. They're always willing to listen to what I have to say, what I got coming out. And it was so funny, like Bermuda Triangle, right? It happened on a whim. Literally, Beckham and Carrie was like, my friends are throwing this show. I said that we would play at it. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then we had, like, I don't know, a week to rehearse. We don't know what we're going to sound like. We, we just sat around drinking rosé. We didn't even... Go over the songs or anything. Last minute, I got to get some inspiration. Go into Fanny's House of Music over here in Nashville. I see an upright bass. I'm like, that's going to do. I had a bunch of drum machines. Becca learned how to do the drum machines. Bermuda Triangle was It Don't make no sense. And then all of a sudden, somehow, we pull off the show. Next thing I know, we're doing a tour. Can't believe it. Where do we even get this song material? The next thing I know, we're playing Newport Folk Festival. I'm just like, well, this is out of control. Because it's just like a group of friends, like a group of friends who like to drink rosé and cry. to makes you cry. still makes you want to die. And I'm
9: right
1: to wipe
9: away those lonely tears.
1: So by now you're probably catching on to the vibe at Newport. We've heard relaxed, low key, like a family picnic. And whether you're on the crew or an artist or a festival goer, we're hearing how different Newport is from most other big name festivals. Once again, Allison Pangakis.
2: Because we're on this peninsula set at a fort, we can't change the amount of space we have. And we try to be very mindful with that space, especially in artist spaces. It is a very collaborative feel backstage and because it's kind of close quarters. You'll find people off together playing their guitars and, and singing. And we have tried to thoughtfully design in the space that we have so that they do have a great experience as well, because then their performance is going to be great and everyone leaves happy.
1: That level of prioritizing the artist's experience at Newport goes way back to the earliest days when George Ween and Pete Seeger were producing the festival. But it was George's wife, the late Joyce Ween, who was vice president of their company, Festival Productions, who teamed up with Pete Seeger's wife, Toshi, to take on the major task of not only transporting, housing, and feeding the artists, but also setting up all the wild late-night parties where truly amazing collaborations would happen. Here's George Ween.
4: Muddy Waters and B.B. King played both the jazz and folk. So I remember when uh, somebody asked Muddy to do something, and I, he says, I have to ask Miss Joyce. Miss Joyce was my wife. And she worked with all the uh, blues artists. And, and, uh, and Joyce and Toshi Seeger really were partners in seeing that everything went well at that festival with the artists and the kinfolk. They were just involved with the people that came, the artists that came had to rent two or three, four or five houses to, uh, and they'd go to Newport and they'd check out these houses. Then they had to figure out how to feed 100 people a night and outdoors and had get a chef, which we found, Curly, who could cook good food. The food was wonderful, but the kinfolk, there were, for every artist, there were three kinfolk. Um, We had 100 artists and you'd have 300 people or whatever it was. This was it. You had to figure out the transportation when you bring a Mississippi, John Hurt from Mississippi, or bringing Spokes Marciano from, from South Africa, how to get them there. When they got there, they had to answer questions for all the artists because every artist had question. where do we go, what do we do? Toshi and, and Joyce had to organize all of that aspect. And much more than that, too. They had to throw the parties at night. After feeding the people and after the festival was over, they wanted to have parties till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And Toshi and Joyce had to organize the parties we had with the, the New Lost City Ramblers out there on, on, the, on the lawn on one side of the house. Sippy John Hurt sitting on the back steps, singing to 10 or 12 people sitting on the grass. No debtor singing in the living room and Joan Byers and Bob Dylan sneaking into a room to, to, to compare each other's songs that they were working with. I mean, n- nights like that are, are unrepeatable. You know, you can't capture them again. And uh, it was just a marvelous experience.
1: While those moments George Ween is describing with Odetta, Mississippi John Hurt, and Bob Dylan and Joan Baez are definitely unrepeatable. Those late night after parties are still a huge part of the Newport tradition. Only now they happen in venues all around downtown Newport, like the Newport Blues Cafe, where Providence, Rhode Island's Deer Tick has hosted legendary collaborative late night sets since 2010. Here's Deer Tick's John McCauley.
8: It was the year after we played Newport for the first time and we wanted to go back because we had a great time, but we didn't get an invitation to play. So we were like, well, let's just play in Newport, like downtown every night and see what happens. And then we kept doing it year after year, and it became kind of an extension of the festival itself. And we used that as an opportunity to do some fundraising for the festival and for Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, which is a cause dear to our hearts because of the people who run the Newport Booze Cafe. Of course we had the skip last year, but the reputation of it just kinda got out of control. A lot of cool people show up and end up on stage. People are just packed like like sardines in there. It's sweaty and there's a lot of booze and a lot of singing along. It's a real hot and humid time. It's a blast. Yes.
1: Late night after party with Deer Tick has become something that people now look forward to every year, as well as a few other amazing annual events that happen after sunset. More about that later on in the series. Deer Tick isn't the only product of Rhode Island that people look forward to each year.
11: I just head straight to the oyster tent and they start shucking. The oysters
10: backstage. Oysters on the half shell in the backstage, which every festival should have. I mean, maybe not the ones in like, I don't know. Cleveland.
1: Oysters as backstage food. A local crew and staff that can be with the festival for decades and feel like family. A festival site surrounded by water. The relaxed vibe. Basically, in Newport, whether you're one of the staff or a festival goer or an artist, expect the unexpected. More on that from Jess Wolf and Holly Lasig of Lucius. Any artist
9: or person who's ever been to Newport can testify like there's just something in the water. It's just magic. Magic things happen there every single year. I mean there hasn't been a dull year that we've been a part of
5: probably otherwise even between the musicians and the audience and stuff everyone's just together in this way and everyone wants to collaborate together it's just yeah it's like thanksgiving dinner or something (laughs) just looking out it's like the scene that you've seen in so many documentaries and things that you've watched over the years and you're like
8: we're here now this is crazy
9: Yeah, every time you get on that stage, it sort of feels like that. Yeah. Like a dream. Again, it's that emphasis on community, like Mm. an appreciation of one another. It's a non-competitive, family-oriented in all ways music festival. It's really, it is unique. The opportunity to hear and see and be present for other people that you admire or that you have heard about. And I think most of us go for the weekend. You know, we, we try not to book things around Newport so that we can fully experience it and also collaborate. And, you know, there's always something that happens that you won't expect. And that's why people buy tickets without ever knowing who's going to play, because they know there is magic to be had.
3: Once again, longtime crew member, Art Jenkins. I think what makes it really special is the fact that there's nowhere in the world you can have a setting that you can have a artist on stage looking out over a crowd of four or five, six thousand people. There's yachts in the water, boats in the water, a bridge. It's just amazing. It really is. The view and the venue that this place gives and the history of Fort Adams by itself is just special. I think for a lot of artists, having Newport folk and the Newport jazz on your resume, you have a bit of history on your resume.
1: The setting, the history, the people. For those that return to Newport folk year after year, the deeper meaning and possibilities seem to reveal themselves more and more. Musicians and brothers Phil and Brad Cook.
14: The first time we went, it was us and, Blitz, uh, and Blitz and Trapper and Wilco. So Megafon opened, then Blitz and Trapper, and then Wilco, and it poured rain. Take your
4: time. everyone knows.
14: But it was cool, because I remember at the end, we went back into the barracks, and we were hanging out with all the bands. We brought my oldest son, who's about to turn 10. But at that point, he was one, and he took his first steps inside the wall there. We all were just having him walk between us, and it was so cool. It was one of the last shows Megaphone played, honestly. Mm -hmm. But Newport hit us so hard. And we knew so little about it, even after that one day, because we didn't even see the full thing until we came back later, you know, with different bands, so... I think staring, when you walk onto the main stage and you see the water, it's pretty breathtaking. I mean, the fort itself is obviously like a pretty cool structure but it's a really beautiful view and you can just sort of it, there's something timeless about that view you know what i mean like you're not staring at advertising you're not staring at the same sort of wall of crap that you see at every other festival you know what i mean and like there's something really uh authentic about the way it's even presented without production for everybody it's really about the music and in the atmosphere and so that was immediately present to us it was so exciting it's not cheap it's not like a cheap thrills festival you know everything's so deep yeah it's it's a it's an experiential world it's like the walls of the fort like you enter in there and it's just it's one place that you go (laughs) it's like a bubble i like that like any other kind of temporal landscape is just like you know the memories run together because you're threaded with all of these other people who are regular and occurring and there are repeat characters in it and the whole thing it feels like everyone picks up right where they left off and then it gets reinforced by new faces that get added in that start to become a part of it and then they become a part of the narrative and the collective kind of expression of the whole thing so yeah it just does very naturally feels like it all runs together on purpose it should so the fact that the staff all the way down from the producers to the staff that every year after year volunteer or work the same exit the same door the same thing you know backstage and Mary's there with her awesome sunglasses and her son and her son hat on there and just giving out hugs yeah, and it's just yeah. everyone plays their plays the part that they're supposed to play to the maximum capacity
1: everyone playing their part as we've heard today Newport folk isn't just a music festival it's a family We'll learn more about what that means throughout this series from each member of the Folk family you heard today. And we'll meet many more throughout our time together on Festival Circuit Newport Folk. To quote Phil Cook, these are the recurring characters in this story. Each new face becomes part of the narrative. And as I said in the beginning, a branch in the family tree. On our next episode, we'll talk history. Sure, there's deep history of the festival, but as we've been talking about, Newport Folk is about the people and the music. So we'll also dive into some personal history of the folks who have helped to make Newport what it is today. And we'll find out how both the festival and the music evolved from its earliest days under the direction of George Ween and Pete Seeger, the utopian vision, traditions and sounds that live on, and the mission of continuing to build on and carry that into the future, which this year feels more precious than ever.
0: Let's give Marianne, the gatekeeper, the last word. We've lost so many along the way. This COVID-19 has touched so many people. So let's not take for granted those moments. Let's come have this festival, grab some hope, grab some love, grab some sunlight, grab your sunscreen and your water. Just don't forget to hydrate and wash your hands. <laughs> That's my line I tell all the time. You know, let's just hang on to hope. Let's love each other through it all.
1: Nothing conquers love. We couldn't have said it better ourselves. And speaking of love, on the next episode of Festival Circuit, Newport Folk.
4: It became, in a short period, a utopia of what the world could be if people really understood and loved each other.
1: We'll hear how that utopia and love evolved over the years to find a balance between honoring the history and building for the future. From the musicians... I mean, when
8: we started, we were so young in 1990 and Joan Baez was there and the Roaches were there who had been a huge influence on us and and Joan, of course, was a big influence on us and sung with us and, you know, so we kind of, we started out in this uh, really sweet spot with who had been the, I guess, one of the most pivotal people in folk music and and at Newport, really.
1: To the festival itself.
8: Back then,
12: it was still the Dunkin' Donuts Newport Folk Festival. You know, I just feel like Jay kind of rounded up several of us and we talked about it a lot and we're like, this is too important of a festival to let it go down the the drains. I
11: met with George Wein, who admittedly didn't like me and admittedly shouldn't have liked me at all. Uh, And I just said, you don't have to like me. And I just think, these festivals that you created are too important to the world. And here are 18 pages on why and what should be done. Join us for
1: episode two of Festival Circuit, Newport Folk. Festival Circuit, Newport Folk is presented by Osiris Media, proud supporter of the Newport Festivals Foundation. I'm Carmel Holt. The series is co-written, co-produced, and edited by me and Julian Booker, who is also our audio engineer. Production assistance from Zach Brogan. Our executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Show logo and art by Mark Dowd. The series theme music is Ruminations Part Three, Afternoon Haze by Stephen Warwick. Thanks to Billy Glasner of the Newport Festivals Foundation for providing archival audio. Many thanks to our Folk family guests, Marianne Crook, Alison Pangakis, Art Jenkins, Pete Kagan, Pete Hanlon, Judy Collins, Colin Malloy, Jay Sweet, George Ween, Jim James, Brian Lima, Brittany Howard, John McCauley, Phil and Brad Cook, Margot Price, Jody Whelan, Jess Wolfe, Holly Lasick, and Amy Ray. Special thanks to John Hershler and Sight Sailing of Newport for helping to bring the sounds and experience of the Newport Harbor into this podcast. And with gratitude to Executive Director Jay Sweet for his guidance and support. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. I'm your host, Carmel Holt. See you next time on Festival Circuit.
3: service.